Based on your past educational struggles, have you ever asked yourself, will I be enough in this leadership position? This week's guest, Dr. Basil Marin, explains how his struggles in school created doubt about the impact he could make on students' lives and his leadership capacity. In this episode, we also discuss the challenges of higher education, equity practices in schools, teaching students professional skills, and Basil's character in the new book by Jeff Kubiak, It's Me. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Basil, thank you so much for being on the Aspire Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited for this episode. Before we get into a whole bunch of very important topics, including equity, I would love to hear about your leadership journey. <laughs> That's one thing I always ask people when I get to know them as well. Is how was your journey and yeah. how did you get to where you got to? If you would have told me 10 years ago I'd be where I'm at now, I would have laughed at you um, because my, my journey is unconventional to how I got to where I got to. As being you know a student, I had a lot of academic issues, social issues in school. So definitely was never my dream to be a teacher <laughs> or an administrator. Um, but to be leading anything in education, I've wanted to run out of education. So that, that <laughs> it's a different field now. Yeah. Um, and so definitely one of the things I did do, I've always had a heart for kids. So whether my dad's a pastor in the church, I would do a lot of things with the youth from the church. Or you know, one of my good, good mentors worked as one of the counselors at the Boys and Girls Club. And I'd go with them with him a lot to the Boys and Girls Club just to be where he was. Um, and I love sports growing up, basketball and football. So I would go there just for that fellowship or for that time. And they kind of just saw that, you know, that how I interacted with the kids and worked with the kids. So they actually hired me hmm. as one of the junior staff there. You know, during that time, again, loved kids, thought I would maybe be a CEO of like a Boys and Girls Club. Went to college, got a degree in business, nothing to do with education, was doing that. Uh, I remember my sophomore year, one of the deans pulled me to the side and said, hey, Basil, you know, I can get trouble for asking you this because we're supposed to be growing our business program. But like, why are you not in like an educational program? Like, mm. you know, social work teacher, um, you know, counselor, like you have a heart for, for education. And I remember looking at him and telling him that those professions don't pay. Um, and that's why I wasn't going to be getting a degree in it. And so he he kind of smirked at me, got the green dead, and he said, okay, just remember education is a call and you'll come back to it. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, here we are now, you know, so, so many years later, and, yeah. and I believe he was right. Mm-hmm. So while I was um, working at Boys and Girls Club doing that, I started working as a paraprofessional at an alternative school. And so I just worked with one kid, bigger guy my size, nonverbal. And, you know, one of my friends was telling me about the job. He's like, dude, you supervise 300 some kids after school for like 25 staff. You can watch one kid because boys and girls subs after school hours. So I was trying to find something during the day. So I remember going to the principal, you know, bringing my resume and saying, I heard you had a, I couldn't even say it. I said paraprofessional, paralegal. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't really know what it is. I just know you work with one kid. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, you know, Roy's leaving. Um, you know, you'd be good. When can you start? I'm like, well, you really haven't interviewed me. What's the job? She's like, you'll be perfect. Like, I know you'll be perfect. And so she hired me and I, I did that during the day and did, um, you know, Boys and Girls Club in the evening. Shortly after I got there, the life skills teacher was was fired. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, Basil has a business degree. He can do this life skills class. And I'm like, whoa, uh, you know, I decided to be a teacher. I was coming <laughs> to do my little job in the morning and I go in the afternoon. Like, this is not what I'm trying to do. And she's like, well, can you just help me out till I find somebody? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just got hired. What am I going to say? No. Yeah. <laughs> So it was funny, Josh, this was like, what, September? So I took it over October and she's like, oh, yeah, two weeks. Long story short, Christmas break came, <laughs> right? 
And I, I remember coming back from Crystal's break and I said, hey, you know, can I talk to you? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, let's have a conversation. And I'm like, you, you said two weeks. It's been like two months. And I'm like, so, you know, I got these boys on a good on a good track, but like you should have found your replacement by now. Yeah. And she's like, I've been meaning to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, we're talking now. Like, you know, what's up? <laughs> she's <laughs> like, I, I would like for you to get a, uh, what was the word? Well, she said a um, provisional license mm-hmm. in this in this course. And I'm like, that's, I think we're not on the same page. I was provisionally helping you until you found somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a business degree. Like, I, I can just train somebody. She said, like, they've done so much for you in the two months than they ever did for the lady who was here for five years. I said, okay, I understand models and, you know, teaching people. So I'll get the next person trained. Long story short, she was like, just, just think about it. You know, I think you'd be great for it. So took the job and did that and realized that, you know, I didn't I didn't know then that, you know, I really had a heart for teaching and wanted to learn and help the kids learn. But after I did that and did the courses, I had a mentor that kind of told me and said, hey, you know, like these kids in alternative school need you, but the kids in public school need you as well. Like mm-hmm. before they get to the alternative school, because not saying they're long gone in alternative school, but it, it's so much work to get them out of that. And yeah. so how do you how do you prevent kids from getting there? And so I was naive again. I thought special ed was no disrespect. The kids who were in wheelchairs, you know, really were in those profound mm-hmm. classrooms. I thought that was special ed. Right. Right. He's like, no, the same knuckleheads, you know, you follow around the boys and girls club, tell them to go to their POs or not to get a girl pregnant or those kids ED, like clearly ED. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he's like, and they need your support. So I started working on a master's of special education while I was doing uh, boys and girls club <laughs> and the alternative school job. Um, did all of that. And then after I was done, I graduated. I moved to Virginia Beach to work at another um, school, unfortunately, uh, uh, alternative school um, where I supported some kids um, who were in special education program. Mm-hmm. Now, these are kids, Josh, that got kicked out of the uh, public school system. Like they've been officially kicked out wow. and the public schools pay, is paying this regional program to, to support them in education. So did that while I was doing that, again, really loved what I did and, and, and wanted to continue to grow and learn. Again, another mentor was like, you know, you have leadership potential, start working on your EDS. And I'm like, ED who? What is that? <laughs> so, so I looked into it and they're like, you know, this is another step up from a master's and they'll give you opportunity to be an administrator. So after I taught for um, a couple of years, worked on the EDS, did that while I was teaching simultaneously and then got my first gig as assistant principal at a high school, a traditional high school in Portsmouth, Virginia. The one of the big, big things after I graduated with the EDS, I said, okay, I, I think I want to work on my PhD. I started to, you know, see has been playing it. I said, okay, let me go do a year's AP and come back after I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, the program coordinator was like, you're not going to come back. Like life's going to happen. <laughs> You're about to be a high school AP Friday night lights. Like you're never going to see the time to like see to to be to fit in a doctoral program. So like you're used to it. Just keep going. Yeah. And so so yeah. So three weeks later, I started a PhD program and was a brand new assistant principal, which was a lot. That is. Uh, I just I pray. I think I prayed through every <laughs> every night. There's <laughs> a lot going on, but yeah, did that for two years, and then I moved to to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, two summers ago, been here um, and just completed the doctorate. So it's a long journey, uh, but I but I will tell you that you know I won't take none of it back. I won't regret any of it because everything prepared me for the next step, yeah. and all of it prepared me for my ultimate goal, which is to impact and empower students to be the best. But also, really, really realizing now that was like my my big motto. But now even 
not even just students, but educators, because mm-hmm. educators have the, you know, have the awesome opportunity to have the greatest impact on kids. Yeah. And if you get educators' mindsets right on what they want to do and how they can impact it, all the 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 fruit of that is just students being impacted, right? Yeah. So now I've, I've been really focused on just teacher leadership, capacity building, but also still staying close to my roots of of, of staying connected with kids. Yeah. So, Biz, I want to go back far back into your your educational journey which is when you were a student and you said something profound which was i didn't enjoy school which is surprising but as i was listening to your story you were talking about the fact that you were kind of pushing against education like no i'm not ready to teach i'm not ready to teach i'm not ready to be a leader so do you think that was a correlation to your experience as a student Absolutely. Absolutely. Because so let me say this in second grade, my parents, the first they're not they're from the country Belize and not from America. So with that being said, you know, I I think I have a huge heart for like ELL students, Mm -hmm. ESOL students, because I I get it. I was born here, but I have parents who weren't. And so some of the things that your parents would just know because they went through the system, kids just don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Like SATs. I had no clue what that was. Like my parents just had no clue. No fault of their own. And so for me in the second grade, I was reading on the kindergarten read level. So Mm -hmm. I've always been behind just, you know, academically, literacy wise reading, like that's always been an issue. And so for me, that self-efficacy is, is it, Piece, a piece was key because because if you don't believe you can do it you don't want to do it yeah. right if every meeting josh you sit in you hear about everything that you can't do or how you're behind or the deficits that that just takes its own toll on you mm-hmm. right to have your parents sit in a meeting i did not have an iep but i felt like i was right outside that era where like i, I probably should have had one right right and the thing is, is like to have parents sit in the meeting and just have that have that look of disappointment on their face because they're hearing the things their, their son can't do. It's painful. Yep. And so you internalize that as a student. And so that's that was a struggle I had all the way through, you know, high school. So now to say, like, who am I to have? I don't want to use the word authority, but to have the level of impact to be able to help another kid like I barely did it. So who, who am I to lead somebody else to do it? Right. Yep. But. It, it wasn't until, like like you said, learning what the literature said, learning that, wow, like Black males are only 2% of a teaching force, like, yeah. as teachers. And then you think about people who are administrators as Black males, that's even more, you know, skimpy. As things kind of came together, I was like, I have a I have an obligation to do it. And my journey only makes it more accessible for kids, because a lot of kids just feel like you're on this pedestal and they can't reach you and, and and you you had it good and you had a silver spoon and you know they see the way I dress kids see the way I come in the school with a suit on they would never know my like my journey right I, I started a program called my school sons at my school which is a mentoring program you know you have you have men of excellence all these names but I, I said my school sons because there's so many young males minority males that are hurting that don't have a, a, a male figure in their life to be a positive one excuse me say that sure that can look up to and kind of be shown the ropes or if they want to see you know sense of hope and so that so the having that that label of son is very key and so you know, kids see me, you know, they, they, they interact with me. But then when I sit down with them that first that first meeting and share my story, like the kids are looking at me like, what? Like, <laughs> how? Like, like they, they're, they're, they're dumbfounded. And I'm like, yeah, when I'm telling y'all pull your pants up, you know, sometimes I heard that a day in school. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or take, mm-hmm. take a do-rag. I heard that all the time. They're like, you are a do-rag? Like, you, you, you sagged? I'm like, yeah. But I had to get it together. So now I know what to tell you because I was there. And so you make yourself, Josh, you make yourself personable for kids. And and, sure. I, and for me, the biggest thing that really is the glue for everything we do is relationships. And so when I tell those stories and tell the kids, you know, my my own story, the relationship only deepens. 
So when I get on a kid in the hallway and I'm like, so you you out here in the hallway and you're embarrassing me and we've had these conversations, like they they take that seriously. Like, Dr. Ren, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Because they know, like, this is not how we operate, mm-hmm. right? And I'm trying to show you something different that you might not know, but you have the skills because I've, I've taught you them and you see me modeling for you what to do. So you don't have no excuse now, right? <laughs> um, so so it, it's a deep thing, Josh. But yeah, I, I did see your question. Like school was a struggle for me and and those efficacy points are huge. Like one of the things in the book, I know you're going to speak about it um, mm-hmm. later, but I'm going to mention it now in, in the picture, my character, one of the quotes above above my head is, will I ever be enough? And this is this is me talking about being a black male, having a doctorate at this point, and still having that question of, will I be enough? I can't leave my house, Josh, and turn my blackness off. I'm still a black male to the world. Right. Right. And everything that comes with that. So whether somebody is scared of me because of my stature, whether it's how I carry myself, all those things still are in your mind. So my students, you know, it's clear they understand those things. As I had a student in my, my my school son's program one time tell me, you know, Dr. Moran, I want to learn how to act white like you. It took me back. I said, what do you mean act white? Like I was almost offended. Like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not white, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm right. light skin, but I'm not white. And he's like, no, like you go out here and you deal with the parents, you have a suit on. He's like, and you, you know, the way you deal with them, I want to learn how, like, I see you're successful, but it's because you act white. And I'm like, it's not acting white, it's, it's, it's being professional. Mm-hmm. And I had to break it down for him. And I said, you're going to live in a world where you have to double that. And, that, and that's the reality of the world. Like I could sit here and I could speak slang to you all day, right. but then the superintendent walks by and I could switch it up in a matter of a second. That's code switch. And you're going to have to learn that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, wow. Okay. So it's having those real life conversations, Josh, that kids need that nobody may ever tell them, right? These are things I didn't find out till later. In life and if i knew these things when i was 16 like I'm not saying i would be any less successful but just still like I, maybe i i would have handled things better at that time and yep. so so for me to your point about school like i didn't get excited about opening a textbook and re- reading a syllabus and saying oh my gosh i have class like <laughs> that didn't excite me but what did excite me was the impact that earning potentially earning a degree could do for me doors that could open allow me to have greater impact for kids and for people who look like me and for educators to be able to push the envelope. So that was what pushed me and, and every degree I've earned, I've been able to do that and, and get a different degree, get a different position in terms of title and be able to make an impact. So that's what drove me to make some decisions I made. I would say God's been good in that, to me in that regard. But sometimes it's not just about being book smart. It's about, I'll say this too, Josh, it's about, it's about your hustle, your grind mm-hmm. and your work ethic. Like I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I'm not working you. And that and that's that's the grind you got you kinda gotta have yeah. in order to survive. Well, especially in education, I think you made a great point about laying it out. I mean, you were always doing multiple things in addition to going to school. And that's hard. It takes hustle and dedication, hard work. And I want to talk about your doctorate because you got that this year. So congratulations on that. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you, sir. Um Thank you. And I know probably a lot of our listeners are, are thinking about getting a doctorate. So for you to, you know, struggle early on in your educational journey and then, you know, to find value in that and find success at some point, and then also feel like you wanted to model that to your students and to your community, what was the driving force to get the doctorate? And then for anyone that's thinking about potentially getting that, what, what would be the benefit of having that degree? First, thanks, Josh, again for that. It, it, it was truly been uh, a journey. <laughs> Believe me when I say this is this is full transparency. There, there are about ten times in the program that I was like, "Man, this is not for me." One of them was stats. I, you know, I thought stats was going to take me out. 
I'm not a math person. Um, and what, what was crazy is my study ended up being quantitative. And I, I you know, I thought I was going to cry. My my chair was like, we're doing quantitative. I was like, you must not have been listening to me. Anything in this program, like, <laughs> I'm a qualitative dude. Like, yeah. I can ask some questions. I can interview somebody in a heartbeat. Like, and so it did stretch me. But it, it's funny because I was talking to a friend about it the other day. Like, we, we live in a society where we're so catch the Joneses kind of mm -hmm. mentality. And so even in school, we create that hierarchy of, oh my gosh, everybody's fighting to be the top five in the class or, you know, valedictorian, salutatorian, all those things. We train kids to do that, right? So they do that in high school and then we see it in college and, and those are great things. I'm, I'm not taking anything away. Clearly, I was never any of those things, right? If I was like, I, I was, I was a thank you God, I'm walking across this high school stage. That was me right? too. But <laughs> <laughs> in a, in a robe that matched everybody else's, like I, that's that was me, right? Yeah. Just being being straight up. So the thing is, is like I was telling someone when you, when you start this doctoral journey, like none of that matters. Like nobody cares you were top five. Like no, like it's about the work. It's about wanting it. Someone asked me, like, how are you like in Atlanta? Josh, I'll be honest with you. My first year being here, I never, I did not explore Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You you want to know what I was doing on Saturday and Sunday? I was sitting here at the kitchen table, spending hours writing and researching and mm -hmm. went outside for, you know, some fresh air. I said, okay, I'm still alive, but like, <laughs> I didn't get to explore, right? Yeah. And so you, so one of the biggest words I'm going to say to your listeners is, is sacrifice. There's a lot of things in life like it was sacrifice. Like I had to, I had to go under underground. Like it was friends that certain friends that you know I'm not gonna say I cut off, but I had to, I had to scale back from sure. certain things I enjoy. Like I would love to have went to like an NBA game pre-COVID and do some things. Like I had to make those sacrifices. And so for me, the first thing was like proving to myself that I could do it. That was the first thing. Was that personal innate? Like okay, I I can do this. And and. I've had all these other degrees, degrees before this. Um, again, not the first master's degree of special education. That was one of the real proofs in the pudding. And I was like, all right, dude, like, okay, you struggle with reading and writing your whole life. And as you know, any any graduate program, that that's the bulk of it. You, yeah. you go in classes, you got to, you know, the, the, yes, they're giving a lecture, but there's hours you do of reading outside to really um, deepen that learning that you learned about. And then you got to write a paper. And so those are my two biggest fears. Josh was like, I got to write a 15 page paper and then a professor has to grade it. And like, I was good at smoothing, you know, like high school teacher and be like, Hey, can I get with you after school and we could work on it. And so they, they could see my, my work ethic. And so they, they'll be lenient on me. You, you don't have that in grad school. Like yep. you turn it in like everybody else. Right. And so when I got out of that program and did pretty well in terms of like GPA and success and like that, that I talked about self-efficacy before that built some self-efficacy, like, mm -hmm. Oh man, I just got a master's degree. Right. Um, my, my parents, my dad is a pastor, so he has a master's of divinity. And so it took him 11 years to get that working full-time as community pastor. Sure. I think he took like one course, like it had to have been a semester or I don't, maybe a year. I don't know. I, live, I just know they did like an article on the paper. Like it took him a long time to get it, but it's the way he spaced it out. So mm -hmm. he has that. And then my mom has equivalent of eighth grade education. So if I, if I landed anywhere in that range, like I was good, you know, so earning a master's like, I, you know, I, I kind of walked around my chest out. Like I can't tell me anything. I got a master. <laughs> and so that really built some efficacy in me. I can do this. Yeah. Right. And, that, and I think for me, Josh, if I'm being completely honest, that was a turning point for me where I was like, all these struggles I've had, like, I mean, yeah, that like they're still there to the extent, but like I can, I can do better and I can still rise and I can still make a difference. And so from that, 
when I started my, I became a licensed teacher, I was like, oh, and I'm a teacher, like, you know, something that now I have an opportunity to give back. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm licensed. So somebody's not going to walk down the hallway, which it probably still happened. And like, oh, like, you know, you're, you're a coach. So you just hear, you know, the two, like, no, I'm, I'm a teacher. Like I'm a licensed teacher like you. Right. And mm-hmm. I want to help the kids. And so that was a big turning point for me. And then getting the EDS and becoming an administrator, like that was another huge, like, oh man, like not only now, have I taught, but now I get an opportunity to be a leader in the school where I'm able to have a positive impact. And that was something that was huge for me is I still wanted to be me and be real. I've had so many friends and colleagues, Josh, and this is the spirit of truth that get the, get a, an administrative title and they forget who they are. Yep. They forget where they came from. They forget their why or why they're in this work. Okay. You're just a principal, but why are you doing this? You still have a, you have a, a greater impact now to make and you allowing your title to get in your way to impact people like that. And I've, I've just seen that. So that was something I, I did a lot of soul searching on that. I, I can't allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. I still got to be me and still be in the business of people. And so I've kept that heart, you know, very close to my heart. And so then now again, having earned a doctorate, it's, it's like, okay, not that I really help me in my position right now, but I also was looking futuristic wise. I said, okay, I think at some point I want to be a director or maybe, you know, of secondary schools, director of, you know, alternative education or whatever the case may be talked about equity before maybe director of equity for a, a district and then you know work my way up and so i knew that having that doctorate would make me you know not only more marketable but it's something that's needed yeah right and then i'll uh, the last thing i'll say is i never wanted to get to a table an interview and someone say like ah oh, basil you're like you were the candidate dude like you were it but on the job description it said preferred doctorate and so we went with a different candidate and that was mm-hmm. the only thing that did allow me to have a job in the work of equity. We talk a lot about, you know, breaking down barriers and doing different things. So I, I need to break out, break down this barrier that has historically been, has been an issue for people of color getting jobs, mm-hmm. especially at those higher levels. So that was another thing that kind of had drove me to want to continue was, okay, it might not be for right now. And it, yeah, it'll benefit me in some ways, but down the road, I need that. And so that's what kids, I tell kids all the time, like, you got to graduate so you can have that paper. <laughs> yeah. It's just so the world, like, I got this. And then you keep going. It's not even about the paper. Who cares about it after two, after you graduate? But you have to have it. Mm-hmm. Like it's your passport. So that's kind of how I was looking at it in a holistic approach. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up equity because I know that's a passion of yours and it shows especially through your journey as a, as a student, but then also as an administrator. And I know you come from a diverse school. So in regards to equity, how are you making sure that all kids have what they need to be successful? Great question, Jason. So this is one of these questions where I've, I've went on a couple of principal interviews recently. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is good practice for me as well. Talk about some <laughs> of that, right? No, but, but in seriousness, one of the, the, the things near there to my heart is people who know know my work know that I want to make sure that all kids or each child has what they need to be successful. I just believe there's so many more basils out there to give an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. It's just about tapping in and realizing what they need. So a lot of my previous work has been in special education, as I said, but this past year, we, we have, in terms of our school, 30% of our school, 1,800 kids are Hispanic. And then our EL population is pretty big. 
um, in my last school, I think we had maybe like 10 ELL students, right? Mm -hmm. And not saying uh, um, it didn't impact my world, but it just was a small fraction, right? Sure. And so now I came into school and I'm like, gosh, there's so many kids who are having this language barrier. Um, and so one of the things that happened was we were having a lot of complaints to the district level. It's about like, you know, which was which was valid, parents not feeling valued, not feeling respected and and needed to have more access and more community in our school. And so I got with my principal one day and said, like, we got to we got to be proactive and not reactive. Like every time we get a call from a superintendent or the regional director, like we're trying to like we're behind the eight ball and we're trying to fix it. I'm like, yeah. but we got to we got to stop being in that position. Right. And, I, and she's like, well, how do we fix that? I'm like, we got to we got to get ahead of it. And I'm like, so one of the things we can do, or one of the things we can do immediately, I said, maybe we can have like a coffee and conversation where we bring the EL parents in and we kind of just like train them on how school works. Because when we get to the root of all these issues, it comes back to like communication and it comes back to them just not knowing the structure of school. Like they don't know like, okay, there's a principal, sister principal, department chair, grade level. Like we, like we create all these different roles, right? And if you got a parent that just came from Guatemala yesterday, mm -hmm. all they know is that, yeah, there's a leader and a teacher. <laughs> so yeah. they're like, why do I have to go through these eight different ways to get to the teacher? And then when I get to her, it's they're so exhausted that it's like, they're just done with it. I don't know about you, but like, let's, you know, I do, I do know I have school loans. And so if I call a school loan officer and I'm, I'm calling and I, first of all, I've been on the phone for five, five, 10 minutes because I got to wait for it. So I'm already irritated. Right. <laughs> and then I finally get a hold of somebody and they're like, Ooh, this is not the right department. So then I get passed along. Right. Right. And Josh, that happens three or four times. By the time I get to the fourth person, I'm like, listen, okay, this is my problem. This is what I need. And I speak good English and I'm, I'm irritated. Right. Mm -hmm. So imagine our parents who get in that same predicament. And now I gotta, I gotta get an interpreter and I, it's, it's so much they have to orchestrate that it's just so frustrating. Right. Sure. And so I said, let's have this meeting so we can explain like, okay, these are our five counselors. This is your child's counselor based on the alphabet. These are the administrators. Dr. Moran is the one over East Hall department. Um, if you have a specific need, just email him and we can, we can fan out what we need. So a lot of it, Josh was just really explaining like the structure we had. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, I found that once we did that in several of the meetings, like things kind of like eased up and was like, okay, we we understand that. And they knew who to contact. That was the other part. It was just so many bouncing along. But another thing we did was we partnered a lot with the community and brought in other other agencies. We brought in the local police department and just talked about um, just, you know, I'm over attendance. And so I explained to a lot of the parents, like, just because your child has a hoodie on a book bag does not mean they went to school. Right. And so many times and, there, and this is some of the systemic issues is that. Uh, and it's, it's for the same thing for a teacher. They have to go through so much work to, to get a hold of a parent. And that could be that could be exhausting as well, right? Mm -hmm. So the parents feel like if I don't get a call from a school, everything's okay. But that might not be the case. It might have been I, as a teacher, I put a report, I put a, a request into the interpreter to talk to Josh's, you know, doc, Josh's parent, right. but you don't get that until two weeks later. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the time they're asking the kid what happened, like they're like, what happened? They forgot all about it because it's been two weeks. Like you've earned a whole paycheck since then. It's a it's a process, right? And so for me, I said we talked about you know the community police bringing them in and and you know what are they looking for when they're coming to upon a student, like just so they knew how to you know because we we had a lot of increase of Hispanic kids getting arrested, getting incarcerated um, during the school day, outside of a school day. So how do we build a partnership with the police with our parents, right? right you know, brought in people for mental health because a lot of our communities of color do not address mental health. Mm -hmm. 
right? Um, and, and again, that can be for a number of reasons, Josh. It could be it's related to just not having, you know, the 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 appropriate insurance, not having the funds to do it. It's also cultural. Like yep. you're okay, let's go to sleep. You'll be all right. And, and and we don't address it. We'll talk about it. Especially talk about like the black community. We we're we're good for that, right? And the Hispanic community is very is right behind that. So addressing some of those things. So bringing in the local mental health people and talking about what are some signs to look for. Um, just having those real life conversations, and as we were doing that for that for this, this past year, Josh, we realized that the parents were like, "Wow, they really do care, mm-hmm. right?" And so we started to build that trust, build that community. And so with, this year with COVID, we have done the same meetings, we just done them virtually. When I was speaking to you about, we we were bringing the families in house, have some slight refreshments, and have these meetings. So that was one of the things that I said. We we and again, my principal's gracious allowed us to be able to do, which I think only helped the school in general. And then the next thing was every department has their own department. So you have like ELA, history, science, social studies, PE, all the different, you know, core areas. And we did not have an ELL department. Hmm. A lot of our issues in terms of academics, um, you would know if we're looking at the umbrella of equity and really drilling down, it's going to be our students with disabilities and our ELL students are the ones who are really struggling academically. And teachers know or perceived to know how to help the kids who are going to be okay. But then when we get to kids who are struggling, they're just like, I've done all I can do. I, I'm, I'm done. Right. They don't want to learn. They don't want to be here. You know, you hear all these things. And so I went to my principal one day and said, okay, we need to have ELL department. Every other person has a department, but then we need to have the same autonomy and the same respect because mm-hmm. every, every department, I mean, the PE department has a PE department, like ELL is a department. Right. right. Um, and I said, I'll be willing to lead that because I, I just realized a lot of the same, um needs that you see with a special ed student or student who need those supports they're very similar they're very similar and so i was like i had that 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 formal training so i could be able to bring it over to the department and so what i told her was you know we're gonna each core area when they have the department meetings we'll have each core area have a specialist in the ELL department so uh, ELL, you know ela social studies science and math so like my ELL specialist what she'll do ela excuse me is go to the ela meeting and they'll have their, you know, the regular monthly meeting. But at the end of the meeting, they usually start to drill down, talk about, you know, who are some of the kids who are really struggling, what supports do they need? And it typically, you know, when you talk about those open conversations, it gets to the same kids, special mm-hmm. ed, ELL. So that person would be able to be, um, to ask questions, probing questions to say, have you tried this? Have you done this? And be able to provide structures and strategies to help not only just, you know, the department chair, but the whole department. And so even if you're a teacher who hasn't said anything, you're, you're listening to, oh, well, let me try that. And I'm going to write it down. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've done that for each department where they have a specialist now for ELL. And so I thought that was a great way to not only provide support, but also to provide solutions, because, you know, that that's where we get stuck is we just we just make these programs, make these protocols, but like they're not solution based. And so yeah. I said, this is a specific way to do that. Now, I'll be honest, we also developed that right when COVID happened. So this has been been a been an interesting year, as you and I very spoke about at the very beginning. Yeah. So it hasn't really grabbed teeth like I really wanted it to. It's been sure. beneficial, but it hasn't really been grounded in what I wanted it to do. So I'm excited about the foundation we have made, but looking into next year, not only building upon what's there. Mm-hmm. Um but for but to me to your question providing students what they need, that was a big need we had at the school. And so that was something that, okay, not, not are we just giving kids each shoes? This is a, I love this analogy about equity, but not just giving everyone shoes. If you were a size eight and you have a 10, that's not, it's not useful, right. but making sure you have a, you have a eight, 
right? And so for me, this is providing strategies, getting to know our kids, building the relationships. That's providing them with the right shoe. Mm-hmm. So um, I've 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 got, uh, learn to really have a big heart for el students and supporting them and if you get to know them some of the most respectful kids and awesome kids they just they as as i had you know coming up just just had some some cars that were dealt to them that they they had they have no control over so how to support them and get them what they need so you're not only providing support to your own campus and to your students your community but you're also with some exciting news of being an equity coach for leaders so you know what was behind that decision and where did you see the need within other districts yeah yeah so josh so i so what i'll say is i'm excited to talk about an llc i formed called equity elevation and so what i what i really saw was i was in my reflective time was really you know having a time about what is what am I passionate about? And then what do I see a need, right? That, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And so I love that we have conferences. I love that we get to engage with people on Twitter and have these different, you know, rich dialogues. But a big need that I saw, Josh, was executive coaching as it relates to equity. You have people who are in these big time positions, superintendents, directorships, even building, building level leaders that are excited about the work, want to do the work, but don't necessarily know what to do. Right. Don't have the tools or, hey, this is where my school's at but how do we move from here to here, right? Or how do we have this, how do I have courageous conversations with my school? Or maybe I'm in a, I'm in a school that, you know, put, put, you know, predominantly has been a Waterview school, but we've rezoned and so now we have different types of students in our school, right? But now my staff is the same staff that was there when the previous student population or demographics were there and they're still in that mindset. Right. And so we have how do we make cultural shifts like that? How do, so there's a lot of different things you can tackle. How do we tackle our policies and our structures and our procedures? Um, how do we do this work when our district is not trying to do the work mm-hmm. or they haven't really laid out what their strategic plan is about it and how they're going to support schools? And they're not really they're not really supporting it but you as a, as a school leader want to do that that's courageous that's that's a you know and, and a stepping out and so you're going to have those parents that push back you're going to have the parents oh why are we doing this now and they'll be the same people that go to the district and, and want to tell on you so how do you how do you fight some of those systems of oppression but still make sure kids have what they need and so for me the coaching was really um the part i thought needed to be there mm-hmm. um even too like you know as as a let's say like as a director you don't want to call your superintendent and like really have a conversation of like, Hey, I want to be equitable, but I don't know what to do. Like, because no one wants to call their supervisor and say like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're able to have a conversation with someone like me and say, Hey, where are you at? And I'm able to help you um, problem solve. I'm not doing the job for you, but I'm helping you get to a place. So when you have that conversation now at a cabinet meeting or with your superintendent, like you're going to that table knowledgeable and, and more equipped to do the work. And so that's what I thought about was that's what people need to support. Um, it's no shaming. It's no, it's no, um, why don't you know this? Like, how are you superintendent and not having, not knowing how to do this, but some people just have not had to experience it. Mm-hmm. And so I really believe that after George Floyd's death during that beginning of COVID, like it really opened the eyes, the eyes and ears of the world on a whole different level. And you see it all over the nation, you know, these equity positions popping up and districts saying this is our stance on equity. Like it's, it's happening on a whole different level. And so the other thing I will say is that when I'm working with people, I really need to see and, and have those transparent conversations because if you're just checking off a box, I'm not your guy. Because I'm about to work and we're, and we're going to do what's best for kids. And if we're checking off a box, 
you can find another consultant or someone who's going to work with you because that's that's not me, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real. I'm going to ask questions that make you think and make you um, do what's best for kids, even when it's uncomfortable. Um, and so if, if, if we're having those uncomfortable conversations and you're like, well, basically, I'm just trying to get this done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a life we're talking about. That's a, that's a graduation number we're talking about. That's, that's the opportunity for a kid to do better. And if we're checking off boxes, then the, the person that you're doing the service for the most are, are the kids because impact is seen at the student level. So how do you operationalize equity and, and make sure that it's done with fidelity? So that's really what has excited me about it. I'm still flushing some things out. So I may call you, call you, get some advice on how do I flush it out to package it. But that's something I'm really excited about, um, you know, launching really this year. Well, I'm so excited with you. And of course, if you call, I am answering. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll definitely um, get the contact info in the show notes. Um, I think it's so important for districts to to lean on you for equity coaching and consulting because this is a extremely important topic and one that requires a safe space, like you said. And not everyone has knowledge or the experiences that are needed to be successful in equity. And it's all about learning and, and making sure that the schools are set up for all students and for them to be successful. So I love the work that you're doing, Basil. I want to dive into a project that you had mentioned earlier, which is a book by Jeff Kubiak. It's me is the book and you're actually a character in the book. So will you just kind of explain what that project was all about? Yeah, man. So that, that was, that was such a, uh, a surprising phone call. From Jeff. <laughs> like if you know, Jeff, man, that, that, that dude is like, that, that dude is awesome. Right? He's awesome. Phenomenal brother, And uh, he's all working on something big. So yes. he's like, Basil, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, all right. And I'll be honest with you. That was right around the time where I was trying to shut everything down. Like mm-hmm. if someone was asking me about a podcast, about a panel, I was like, y'all, I'm knee deep in a dissertation. It's going to get done this year. So I was shutting everything down. <laughs> so, when he, so when he, um, because this was like July, okay. right? Or maybe June. So I remember him reaching out to me and I was already crafting my email. Thank you so much for the opportunity, but he didn't tell me what it was. I was already crafting it. And I said, now let me hear him out. Let me see what he's talking about. Sure. So we get on a Zoom call and he's like, hey, brother, this is this project I'm working on where I'm really talking about really breaking down, you know, um, labels and prejudice and things that have been so, so ingrained in our society and our world. I, I want to make a book about it for kids can kids can can really reach it. And we'd be able to, t- to talk to him about it. I'm like, you know me. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, let's do this. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, all right. And then so that at the end, he's like, well, I, I want you to be in the book. Now in the book there, um, you know, you have a young man who's in a wheelchair. He's like, you know, I want to play, you know, his friends are playing basketball. Um, again, he's like, well, why can't I play? You know? And so mm-hmm. like that, that having that, you know, last pick or not being picked at all, how does that make him feel? Or sure. there's a young lady wearing her job. No one wants to sit around her, you know, because, because of the perceptions of that. Right. Mm-hmm. A young lady who she wasn't even, she wasn't even heavy set, but in her mind, you know, I'm a little heavy set and they called her tubby, you know, a young man where, young african-american male where his dad was olympian and so he's trying to find his way find his own voice and every time he went to you know a track meet or whatever they'd always say you know the you know the inaugural son of so-and-so and so that's a huge you know weight on your shoulder let me just let me just be me do me sure. but i'm living in my father's light so he's like yeah basil i want you in this and i'm like okay where, where do i fit in like i i, I was kind of lost right we're kind of talking through, he's like, what voice do you kind of see missing out of this? And I'm like, well, and again, this is right after George Floyd's death. I'm like, the black male perspective, like mm-hmm. it's not here, right? And he's like, yeah, I think that's why I want you. And so I'm like, okay, but all these uh, characters are kids. And I'm like, I'm gonna be honest now, I'm gonna be keeping real with you, Jeff. 
if you talk about me 13, 14, 15, I'm not your character because I was not doing good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm like, I think you called the wrong guy. And he's like, well, I mean, that's the one perspective, but like, what about where you are now? And I'm like, okay, but this is, you have kids here. And he's like, well, now I think it's an opportunity for them to see something different too. And so we kind of talked about, you know, me getting my doctorate and what does that mean to be a black male in education? And I'm like, okay. So we kind of crafted that he wanted me to do that. And so what's interesting is I don't think no one's ever really known this story. Again, working on the doctorate. So when I did my, you know, my name and all that, I was, you know, Mr. Basil Moran, Sister Principal, stuff like that. Pretty much I worked with the illustrator, got my character. Um, I talk about, you know, not wanting to be a statistic. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a black male, you hear that a lot coming out. Don't be a statistic, you know, you know, all these things. And so it's funny, I wrote about that's exactly what I became. But I became a positive statistic. And so right. with that being said, again, being, you know, a black male educator, 2% of the teaching force, and then be, being part of uh, individuals who hold a terminal degree, another 2%. And I said, that's exactly what I came, but it became in a positive light. And as I kind of spoke about earlier, um, the quote over my name, over my, over my picture was, will I ever be enough? Right. And that was the kind of my label that I was addressing as a black male, no matter how credentialed you are, no, no matter how successful you become in your accolades, I still have that internal dialogue every day. Um, will I be enough and how will I be perceived? And so those, so those are real, real questions that kids have to address. Right. Yeah. And so what was crazy was after did all the work, we submitted everything. He got with the team and said, OK, this is a draft and whatnot. I defended and it was, and so, you know, I'm on cloud now and I'm like, okay, I got to get, I got to tell Jeff, you know, I changed my things to Dr. Moran because the one line said, I will be, you know, what are my doctor and stuff like that. And so he's like, man, he's, I don't know if I have time to be able to get, get it to the publisher and stuff like that. Like we've, we've kind of sent it off and I'm like, dude, please just, you know, just see if you can. He's like, all right. So he contacts the publisher and he's like, man, the day was like the last day they can like change anything. And so that's when you see Dr. Moran and stuff like, like they had just changed it. And that was of like the timing when like I defended and like, I just happened to hit him up on a Monday. I thought about it. And like the next day he looked into it. And so that was all like crazy timing. Right. And so I'm like, okay, this was meant to be yeah. it's supposed to happen. So I'm just humbled that he, had, like he called me, like, I mean, Jeff is, is a, is a well-known connected guy. Like he could have found <laughs> another guy to do that, but I'm humbled. He asked me to be a part of that and to, you know, shed a light on, the struggles we have but also be a positive light and so it's been a, it's been a phenomenal uh joy to like see kids sharing the pictures and being like oh my gosh this is you know again black male being a doctor like yeah. we don't see that and i believe firmly that kids are able to aspire and able to to at least dream of things that they can see yeah right and when we see that and we change the narrative it, that's how you do it you know you do it one story at a time and be able to show kids like it is possible and that is even though you may not have seen it it's available for you if you want to go get it or, or you want to know about that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff is an amazing guy and uh, was on the Aspire podcast. So if you haven't listened to his episode, make sure you go back. Jeff Kubiak shared a lot of wisdom. And I'm so glad that he reached out to you because your story is important for so many people. And um, that was shared in his book, It's Me. Basil, you talked about it earlier about connecting. And I would love for my listeners to be able to connect with you. So how can they do that through social media? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way is through Twitter. I mean, I'm very active on Twitter. And so that's at Basil underscore Moren is my Twitter handle. Um, Engage with me, DM me, ask me questions about whatever you have questions about, especially if it's something I'm passionate about equity and and making sure kids have what they need. And then I would say if you're on Instagram, it's at Basil Moren Inspires. 
that's my Instagram. And again, I'll, I'll get you that stuff as well. So you have that um, as well as my website, basilmoran.com. And again, if you're wanting to know a little bit more about philosophy and education, some resources on there for videos to you, for you to have as, as an educator, some other podcasts I've been on, as well as you, if you want like a book of speaker for your school, for a district. One of my titles I did for ASD is how to reach an unreachable student. I felt like that was me when I was coming up in school. So how do you make sure that we have those conversations and continue to talk about impact that we can have on kids? Because that's that's the great role and responsibility we have as educators. So yeah, for the listeners, make sure you're connecting with Basil. And if you need a resource on equity, I would take him up on the fact that you can lean on him for more information. Definitely check out his website because he has a ton of resources on there. Basil, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm just so happy that you were able to join me tonight on the Aspire podcast. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for the work that you're doing because uh, you're inspiring many people, (laughs) including (laughs) myself, and the work that you're doing and knowing that it is making a difference and the dedication to this work. Podcasting is such a great thing that a lot of people are really diving into, but I know the work that goes into podcasting, the behind the scenes thing that people don't always see. So I appreciate you continuing the content and bringing on people that inspire others. Thank you.